ಯುಗೇನ ಚಿತ್ತದೇನ ವಾಚಾ ಮಲಂ ಶರೀರ ವೈದ್ಯಕೋಪಾಕರೋತ್ತಮ ಪ್ರವರ ಮುನೀನಾ ಪಾತಂಜಲಿ ಪ್ರಾಂಜಲಿರಾನತೋಸ್ಮಿ ಐ ಪ್ರಾಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟ್ ವಿತ್ ಫೋಲ್ಡೆಡ್ ಹ್ಯಾಂಡ್ಸ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಪತಂಜಲಿ who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class in the last class uh, we were studying the 43rd yeah 43rd sutra of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra it dealt with the results that ensues when one as gets established when a yogi gets established in tapas in austerity in mortification so what was the sutra which we studied in the last class we can have a quick recapitulation as well as we can have some other aspects of discussion to understand this sutra so what was the sutra kaya ಇಂದ್ರಿಯ ಸಿದ್ಧಿ ಆಶುದ್ಧಿ ಕ್ಷಯಾತ್ ತಪಸ ಸೊ ದಟ್ಸ್ ರೆಸಲ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ತಪಸ್ ವಾಟ್ಸ್ ರೆಸಲ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೋಟಿಫಿಕೇಶನ್ ಇಟ್ ಬ್ರಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಪರ್ಫೆಕ್ಷನ್ ಟು ದ ಆರ್ಗನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಕಾಯ ಇಂದ್ರಿಯ ಸಿದ್ಧಿ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಪರ್ಫೆಕ್ಷನ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಆರ್ಗನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಹೌ ಇಟ್ ಹ್ಯಾಪನ್ಸ್ ಬೈ ದ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಾಯಿಂಗ್ ದ ಇಂಪ್ಯೂರಿಟೀಸ್ ಅಶುದ್ಧಿ ಕ್ಷಯಾತ್ even live out the spiritual aspect of it or the psychological aspect of it in our day to day life we will find that because of wrong lifestyle we just take food which is which is very rich in fat we don't exercise and then what happens we find that in by the middle age there is some block in our artery the cholesterol has built up so what's the way this yeah there are ways through operation but yes when we are in the danger level but you are yet to get affected the doctor what they will say control your diet that speaks of tapas go for walk that speaks of tapas and what it will do it is just removing the ashuddhi ashuddhi kshayat it is removing gradually you will find the cholesterol level is reducing decreasing your arteries are as if opening up unless you have developed cholesterol to such an extent that it cannot be cleansed off just by mere exercise and dieting yes there is to certain extent we can do that beyond certain that extent of course we have to go for some surgical procedure but before that we can reduce the level of cholesterol what by remove by exercising and by dieting and both speaks of tapas i have to control my urge for eating junk food and i have to overcome my laziness for exercising or for going out for walk to certain extent speaks of tapas what it is doing it is just removing your cholesterol is it anything something positive no 
your our body is built up in such a way that if there is no blockage the blood is going to flow the prana is going to flow and it will nourish your entire system it is because of our wrong lifestyle we have created some ashuddhi and we are obscuring the natural flow it's not that i have to pump the blood with some external means we cannot never do that science with all its advancements at the time when the bypass surgery is going on only for few hours an external pump is there to play the role of your heart nothing more than that it cannot do it can go beyond that and that also at that time i am just almost in a senseless state that's a poor imitation of or so called advanced surgery i can never replace it only thing the heart will function in its own way i just have to remove the impurities and the system just works the nature has its own power of reviving yours rejuvenating not a single disease is cured by medicine the role of the medicine is to remove the deterrent factors the life force just uh, flows by itself to rejuvenate you to regain your health so that's in the physical level all the this even with the vaccine what we are doing it's actually not something that uh, it is uh, that going to fight the vaccination itself is going to fight the virus the vaccine is going to that uh enliven is just going to strengthen your immune system it is already there it is just strengthening it the vaccine by itself is just strengthening the immune system and it is your immune system that will be fighting not a single disease is actually cured by the medicine it somehow removes the blocking factor and which enables ours this the nature to find expression in a more uh, abundant manner in a more abundant way and that actually helps us to uh, get rid of all the diseases and that in to certain extent we can understand that how mortification brings perfection to the organs and the body by destroying the impurities the same go to the mind the mental tapas with the mental tapas what i am doing through meditation it's something uh which i may not like but i take it as a tapas as an austerity what i do then by the with the meditation with meditation i am trying to relax my mind the mind at present is crowded with worries and tensions i create space there i remove them and then what happens the stress is the thing which actually affects our health health how because when you are stressed i cannot think of health because there are two factors for our existence one is the growth factor and another is the protection factor and they never function together what is the protection factor when i am in danger i i have to just run away from my predator most probably you are resting and in the forest you went for a safari or resting and suddenly you hear the roar of the lion you run when you are running if it's immediately after the food if you are running what happens you find that you have saved yourself from the predator but 
you have developed indigestion. Why? Because the growth and the protection mode can never function together. The moment I was in danger, I had to run. The food which was supposed to be digested, the blood which was going to the stomach after my meal. Now the system says that if I am attacked by the predator, there's no question of digesting the food. I am no more there. So let us compromise with it. First, let me run. For running, the stress hormone has released. This, uh, the, the, the stress hormone has been released and that actually blocks the blood flow in the stomach and allows to flow in the limbs so that I can run. So I am running and saving myself at the cost of digestion. So for the temporary stress, I, my digestion was compromised. Not only that, if I was supposed having a flu and I was taking rest and it's the same lion roar, again I run. The same thing again happens. What I find, I have saved myself from the lion, but my what you say, the flu has actually become worse. It has aggravated. Why? Because when I am running, again, the stress hormone has been released. It is at the cost of the secondary protection mechanism. That is our immune system. It compromises with the immune system. It says for the time being, let me not take care of the immune system. If I can save myself from the lion, later on, I can think of my immune system. I can boost up my immunity. First, let me run and save myself. So our primary protection mode affects the growth as well as the secondary protection mode, both. And now you will find how stress affects our health. How? The temporary stress was good. If I have to save myself for the lion, I have to run for the time being. Yes, I have compromising with my growth, with my secondary protection, but I have saved myself. I can take care of my health later. But in the modern age, what's happened? what has happened? We are in the continuous stress. To give an example, it, it is called, this modern age is called that, that on your marks, uh, that's a, that's, that you are always in the set go mode. That what's, what's, what's actually speaks of when you are about to take part in a race. It has been announced that to be ready on the mark and is on your mark, get set. So they have, when they, they tell get set, you are fully ready to run. The stress hormones are have been released. You are fully focused. Why? Because you have to run and win the rest. So get set, you have heard. Now the moment you are hearing, just waiting to hear that go. And he never says that word go. So what happens? That is what is meant by get set mode. The modern civilization is in the get set mode. That the stress has been uh, has commenced, but there is no end to it. Constantly we are in stress. So what is happening? We are constantly compromising with the growth and with the protection mechanism. It is hampering our health. So it's not that something what uh, that growth for the growth we need we need not have something from ex external help. We just have to get rid of the stress factor. The system rejuvenates itself by itself. The growth is something which happens by the force of the nature. So for that, again, the question of tapas comes in how? That yes, my mind has become obsessed with the stress. 
though it is some it is harming me i cannot get rid of it so now i take meditation as a tapas i just though i find that it is something which is not up to my nature but for my well being i take it as a tapas to get rid of the stress and then the growth happens by itself so just in the mental level in the physical level in the spiritual level everywhere this tapas is the only factor which allows the perfection of the organ and the body by destroying the impurities as we mentioned in the last class that we will find in the fourth chapter the third sutra it speaks wonderfully of this mechanism which ensues as a result of tapas what is that nimittam aprayojakam prakritinam varana bhed stu tata kshetrikavat that how actually that there is a trans what is the tapas is not the direct cause of the transformation of the nature that by tapas i don't do something positive what i am doing it is just breaking the obstacles in the process of evolution of the nature that is varana bhed that is breaking the obstacles how very nice example in the yoga sutra will be given in the fourth chapter what's that how we do it that when you have to bring the a farmer has to bring water from the river which is flowing by his field but there is a dam there is a dam uh, just what you say on the side of the river so that the village doesn't get flooded so what the the uh, farmer has to do he has to just make a small hole in the dam the water will gush will just flow by itself if the water will just flow by itself you need not have to pump the water just make a small hole so that's the wonderful example which has been given in the fourth in the third sutra of the fourth chapter that nimittam aprayojakam prakritinam varana bheda tata tata kshetrikava just as a farmer makes a small hole in the dam in the mud dam in the clay dam to allow the water of the river to just pour in to his field and irrigate the field similarly the tapas all our tapas all our austerity is something like creating a hole is removing the obstacle for the nature to flow in by itself that's what is happening nature is all powerful it has infinite potentiality we can understand it in so many ways we we have an idea we always say from the seed the plant comes such a huge tree can it ever come from a small there's a banyan seed is such a small seed from which a huge plant is coming out how can a plant a huge tree come out from that small seed it never happens so actually all the ingredients are there in the soil the fertile soil the seed is just opening up in a particular way to allow the nutrients to come in and assimilate and find expression as growth in a particular way so each and every seed is just a gate a particular gate in a particular way so when the mango tree particular nutrients will be allowed to pass through it to allow that sapling to grow and at last find expression as the mango tree so it is not from the seed the seed that the plant is coming out seed is just the gateway to allow the particular nutrients to come through it and then we have that particular plant 
So that's why we say that such and such food is rich in such and such minerals. The other food is rich in other nutrients, other minerals. Why? The seed has allowed, the soil was the prakriti. It has infinite potentiality. All nutrients are there. Depending upon the seed, particular uh, minerals will be allowed to pass through it to be assimilated in a particular way to find expression as a tree, as a fruit, as a plant. <clears throat> Similarly, this tapas is also opening up the prakriti. By tapas, we are just opening up the obstruction which is lying between me, uh, my limited existence, physical existence, and the nature. I open it up and the nature finds expression by itself. As in the last class, we were saying that all the siddhis, all the supernatural powers, which we find sometimes finding manifested, is manifested through the lives of the yogi. It's not that by some austerity, by some spiritual practice, they have developed something positive. All those so-called powers are already there in the nature. Suppose a yogi develops the power to see in the darkness of the night. Is it something supernatural? No. The nocturnal animals are there. Those who can see the infrared light. At night, we have the idea that it's total dark. It is actually not totally dark. This infrared light is still diffracting, is, is a finding as a, is, it is there surrounding us, infrared light. The diffracted rays of the sun, which is the on the other side of the earth, it's fine. It is in the, that is a, there's the infrared light. Our eyes don't have the capacity. This doesn't have that power to see the infrared light. The nocturnal animal does it. That's why when you go to the zoo, you will find a wonderful thing. Wherever the nocturnal animals are there, you'll find it is totally dark. You have to enter and inside all the so-called, the the glass cases where those animals are kept, you will find some red light is there. Why? But that's the light, which is the common vis vis point of visibility of that nocturnals and us. If it is bright, those nocturnals would see nothing. They will take it as dark and just go inside their groove and take rest. But in the zoo, the purpose is we should, should see those animals. So they have kept, a, if it is totally dark, we cannot pass through that. So some light should be there, which is visible for us and for them. So that's why that very light infrared light has been kept, which is the common band for both of them. And we can see what it speaks of, that they have, they have a particular mental module, which allows them to see that band of light. Why we cannot see? Because that as a human being, it is obscured. There are particular ways of spiritual practices which can remove that blockage. And just that mental module, which is already there in nature. It is not, I am creating through tapas. It is already there. That finds expression, that blockage is gone. And now I develop the capacity to see in the dark, just like the nocturnal animals. This is one example. The other indriyas can be intensified. It is a pigeon. They have a tremendous power of hearing. Now I'm sitting here, I know that just a, a few kilometers away, this ocean is there, but I cannot hear the rumbling of the waves. 
A pigeon can hear from kilometers away the rumbling of the waves. Their ears are so sensitive. So those modules are there in the nature. Through tapas, I, as a human being, we have that limitation. As a default uh, mode of our existence, I cannot hear that band of, that sound band. But I can design myself through tapas. I can remove that. And those uh, mental modules, which are uh, easily available for a pigeon, that becomes available for the yogi. And he develops the supernatural hearing. So this will give you the explanation that how through tapas, through mortifications, these various types of supernatural powers, and even you leave out the supernatural powers, even the perfection of the organs of the body, which makes sense for us in our day-to-day -day life, that to get rid of the lifestyle disease, we have to, I mean, lifestyle disease speaks of what? Imperfection of the organs of the body imperfection of the mind, get rid of the stress, get rid of the so-called all the impurities which has accumulated in our body because of the junk food. So all those, if, if, if because of sedentary lifestyle, for that I need tapas. And then you find that I develop perfection in the organs of the body. Those yogis who try to develop supernatural power those are not in any way encouraged. This is the science of yoga is just explaining it can happen. But at the same time, we should remember it is not encouraging us to do all those things. Because with that supernatural power, after all, it's of no avail. What, what we are going to attain by all the supernatural powers. If I can see in night, the science has now developed so much. You have infrared cameras. If with a few pens, I can buy an infrared camera. Why I should just go for years of spiritual practice? So that to just all those tapas to develop those power. There's a wonderful story in the gospel of Ramakrishna that there were two sons of a, of a person, the two brothers. The elder brother left home and spent 12 years deep in the forest in deep meditation. The other bro brother was living a householder's life. After 12 years, he returned. And the younger brother asked, so what's, what for what evil uh, was your spiritual practice? Have you gained anything? So he told, yes, yes, of course, I can show you what. So the elder brother so just walked over the on the surface of the river and crossed the river. The younger brother took a boat, paid a few pence, just a few pence, and crossed the river and told the elder brother, your 12 years tapas is just 12 pence, is just a few pence. What you have done is just with a few pence, I have done it. So when we think of tapas in that sense, yes, many have attained all those things that speaks of the uh, validity of the science of yoga, but as such, it has no value in our spiritual life. Just to say, uh, just to speak out the truth behind the, our psyche, they have, they have mentioned, but we can use this, uh, we can use this sutra in our day-to-day -day life for, for that type of tapas, which can help us to have a better life uh, by what you say, having some sort of mortification in the form of regulating our diet, in the form of uh, exercise, in the form of meditation, where we are trying to distress, go beyond the stress. So all those tapas 
actually helps us by uh, what you say, bringing perfection in the our body, in our organs. So that's the aspect which actually we haven't discussed in the last class. So we thought, why not we just uh, uh, discuss the aspect which has some implications in our life, apart from the uh, all the practices which uh, understanding the science behind all the siddhis of the yogis, which which as we, are, we will assert again and again, which has no value. In spiritual life, all the siddhis have no value apart from giving you a little name and fame. It has no value. But apart from that, still this sutra holds good for us. That What's that good? That in our day-to-day life, we can think of a better life, a much uh, better qualitative life by enabling this, by adopting tapas to a certain extent so that we can enjoy this good health, good, uh, which way this health speaks of physical health as well as of the mental health. And that becomes the basis of our spiritual journey. Without uh, good health, without a sound mind and a sound body, I can never think of spiritual journey. That's the best. So I make that best strong with the help of tapas. So that was discussed in the 43rd Sutra. So now the 44th and the 45th Sutra will discuss the result that ensues by the practice of Swadhyaya and Ishwar Pranidhana, the last two practices of the Niyama. As we saw that there are five Niyamas, five observances. So it started with Shaucha, Santosha, and the Tapas, the third one, which we just now discussed, Swadhyaya and Ishwar Pranidhana, the last two. This is of the five, this last two are the Swadhyaya, and Ishwar Pradhana. So we will now commence our study on Swadhyaya. That what's the result that ensues if we get perfected in Swadhyaya? Swadhyayat Ishta Devata Samprayoga. From study and the repetition of the mantras, Swadhyaya means study as well as repetition of the mantras. We will just Try to understand what it is speaking. Study as well as the repetition of mantras, both comes under Swadhyaya. If I get perfected in that, then communion with the desired deity is established. Suppose you are a devotee of Krishna, you meditate on Krishna, at last you realize it no more remains, just an imagination. Today's imagination becomes tomorrow's realization. Today's imagination is tomorrow's realization. How it happens? That we will try to understand while discussing in details this sutra, this particular sutra. So first let us come to Swadhyaya. The Swadhyaya has two aspects, the study as well as the repetition of the mantra. What it is speaking of? Now when for the first time I expose myself to the spiritual truth, either through the books or through the guru. I go to my guru, to the spiritual teacher. In the olden days, there were no scripts. It was all oral tradition. You go to the guru and you hear whatever he says, sravana. Now, when I hear, I have to hear it with sraddha because there are so many things which I won't understand. There will be a gap of understanding. I may feel that they are actually not valid 
that is they are not justified they are not rational but instead of challenging those truths the faith speaks of accepting them with the idea that those are truths i have at the present limited understanding let me cogitate upon it let me go on cogitating upon it that's the manana a time will come when all the doubts will vanish and i will get established in the truth so if i don't have faith at the very beginning i say these are all useless there is no question of getting rid of the doubt and getting established in it and this faith is required everywhere not only in spiritual life even in the so called we say the science is based on all experiment but can i explain a kindergarten child the e is equal to mc square how it can be proven impossible at the beginning the child has to take it as true the faith is working there that swami vivekananda used to say very interesting thing that the problem with the modern age if you say that darwin has told it that told darwin has told something einstein has told something or newton has told something we he will just eat it even without adding salt that's in the word of swami vivekananda there is nothing required just simply that's all okay he saying that is a so called scientific superstition if i say patanjali told it immediately i will said i will doubt it but if i say that darwin told it we need not we need not reason oh these are all based on science but actually both are science it's a wrong way of understanding that even in science without faith i can never progress all this theorems which i can understand in the postgraduate level if i would have not taken them to be the working principle in my school in my college i could have never gone to that state even at the very beginning i would have denied them so here also the spiritual truths are the same thing i should have faith that the rishis the munis the yogis who have went to the realization and came down from the realization to communicate the truth i need not doubt the validity of the truth if by faith i accept them with full humbleness with the idea that there is some gap in my understanding let me cogitate upon it let me contemplate upon it a time comes gradually you will find that intellectually that's also not realization to certain extent intellectually you are developing a conviction so manana is the process of developing that intellectual conviction through after the shravana you go through that process now what is the repetition of the mantra the repetition of the mantra is now in the mantra is the encrypted form of your intellectual conviction when you have cogitated sufficiently upon it just suppose say that some i for the first time who knows nothing of ramakrishna i just say ramakrishna is highly spiritually exalted being avatar whatever it may be you may say and then what happens you may immediately ask question that why how come i go through the life read it thoroughly there are so many doubts gradually it's all uh, gets clarified by my constant uh, inquiry by constant cogitating upon it and then the word ramakrishna itself becomes a mantra for me the moment i think i have developed that intellectual conviction that yes in this we behind this name all the spiritual ideas are all encrypted in just in this name now this conviction 
now with this conviction when you repeat that becomes nididhyasana this swadhyaya is the nididhyasana first it starts with shravana manana and then it is culminating in this nididhyasana you are constantly cogitating constantly meditating on your intellectual conviction many will think that the intellectual conviction is sufficient no swami vivekananda again and again has told of the, the story of the stag that when you are intellectually convinced that doesn't actually speak of any transformation he used to tell that story of a stag a stag one day was bragging that how muscular its limbs are a male deer was bragging to the young one and suddenly it heard the barking of a dog and it started running frantically running the young one also the fawn also ran after it after a long distance when the stag thought it is safe it stopped it was totally exhausted and now the fawn asked the young one asked just now you were so confident about your strength your muscular limbs what made you scared so much and then the stag replied i don't know what happens to my confidence the moment i hear the barking of a dog so in our life with all the vedantic convictions that i am the atman i am the brahman when we face the challenges of life it's gone the barking of the dog we have forgotten everything why because we think that intellectual conviction alone is sufficient it never many has that many will be having that delusion through that constant repetition of your conviction it ultimately brings you to realization what's realization that swami vivekananda is again giving a very nice example that one day he was passing through the desert he was thirsty he was in search of water and then he saw a huge reservoir he started approaching towards it and then suddenly he found that it has vanished and then it struck him from childhood he has heard he has learned about mirage in the textbook he thought i knew what mirage is in the desert you see that the, there's a huge body the body of water and i thought i know intellectually i was convinced of the idea of the is this mirage and for the first time i have actually realized what it is then i understood that what it is actually there was a huge gap there's just intellectual conviction was not sufficient before this be without without this realization that knowledge is in no way something complete it cannot help us i was deluded i was drawn i was pulled by it but once you have the realization then what happens the next day swami ji saying when again i am walking through the desert again i am thirsty but as i am in my mind as i am in my senses again i see the mirage but today it cannot drag me it has lost the power to pull me so this is the difference between intellectual conviction and realization once you have the realization and nothing can now delude you so this swadhyaya is the process where by which today's imagination i close my eyes i meditate on some divine personality which i have the intellectual conviction is something who is spiritually the perfect being who is my chosen ideal 
but that is not sufficient. This is at present how intense my meditation may be. Even I may have developed the capacity to have a visualization, to have a, this visualization of my Ishta, but still it's imagination. This imagination is not the realization. Samprayoga means you as if the way I am talking to a person who is just in front of me, you interact with the divine. It is something which is uh, as palpably true as any the, the way uh, I interact with my senses with any of the worldly object. As when Narendranath asked Ramakrishna, have you seen God? There was no reasoning. Immediate answer was, yes, I have seen God. We will reason. If someone asks whether God is, we will try to explain with thousands of reasons. Why? Because I haven't realized. Just the way the one who has read about the ocean in the textbook will start giving thousands of references that, yes, there is ocean. I have studied there. Such and such person have told. And I will be reasoning. The one who has seen the ocean, and if you ask him, just one answer he will give. Yes, I have seen the ocean. Nothing else. Realization gives the conviction. There is no reason works there. So that's why Ramakrishna's answer is wonderful. Yes, I have nothing else he is saying. And not only that, he's asserting, I can show it to you. There is a process. Swadhyayat, Ishta Devata, Samprayoga. There is a process. I can show it to you. I can, and what's what he's saying is something very interesting. That I have seen God, not only seen God. I, there's a difference. I see God more distinctly than I see you. The, for us, this world of reality is something which is real. And when I close my eyes and meditate on God, that is imagination. For Ramakrishna, that has become real. When he closes his eyes and sees this world, this is imagination. That's why he says, the only difference is, I see him more clearly than I see you. So it is not something mere imagination. That Swadhyaya takes you to the Ishta Devata Samprayoga. Many have the wrong notion that through meditation, when I have visualization, it's all just the working of the mind. It is a type of hallucination. No, it is something which is a direct contact with your chosen deity. So that's the thing which is being indicated in this sutra. That we have already studied when we were studying Ishwara Pranidhana. That what, what's the process of meditation? Tat japah, tat artha bhavanam. That speaks of the tat swadhyaya. Once after going through the process of study, this reading, manana, I have developed that idea that what's the idea which is encrypted in the mantra. That's the artha. You do the artha bhavana and not only that, you have to go on repeating, repeat that mantra. Tat japaha, tat artha bhavan. This should go both hand in hand. For most of us, japa doesn't help. Ramakrishna used to say that what with jap, what, what will you do? Even you go to the this marketplace, even the one who is selling vegetable is doing japa. What do you get it? Because that has become mechanical. That's the biggest problem with all our spiritual practices. At last, it what you say, it reduces. It reduces just to some mechanical rituals. Without we knowing the science behind it, we just make it do it mechanically. It will not 
be of any avail. So swadhyaya means when I have to repeat with full concentration by trying to get rid of all distractions, then try to visualize and repeat the mantra and have the idea behind that visualization in my mind always. With all the mantras, all the mantras, the basic idea is the one whom on I am meditating is something divine. He's not some like something other person. He's eternal. He was, he is, he will be. And who is meditating? Not me as a limited being. The one who is meditating is also infinite. I am, I was, I will be. It is a communion of the Jivatma with the Paramatma. Even in the Bible, the same thing. Worship the spirit by the spirit. It's not me who am worshipping. I as a spirit am worshipping God. The God is also not just an ordinary being. The spirit. Worship the spirit by the spirit. So all the Swadhyaya, any mantra, when I'm repeating, that's the basic idea. With that, when I'm just, with that idea, any mantra, I'm not the one object of my meditation is not something limited. It is the, the spiritual dimension of my existence. With that reputation, gradually it will take you to the realization. So many will be saying that the God is formless. Even in Vedanta, ultimately the God is formless. Then why we meditate on form? Why we just meditate on the images and try to uh, think of the formless through form. It's actually a science, a way. It doesn't speak of the ultimate truth. What's the way actually it is? Just, if you just try to study your own mind. Suppose you are not in my presence and someone comes and repeats your name. What will happen? Just hearing that name, immediately I will picture in my mind your form. It will come. It happens with all of us. Whenever we are conversing with each other, a name is spoken, immediately I will visualize that form. So each and every thought has two components. What are the two components of each and every thought? Nama, Rupa. The moment you think, you are bound to visualize. So now, in my meditation, if I can just uh, use both these aspects, in my meditation, then the, the chances of distraction becomes reduced. That's why always along with the Japa, it has been asked that you should visualize. Suppose you are uh, repeating the name of your chosen ideal. Try to visualize. Why? Otherwise, after some time you will find you're repeating the mantra, but the mind's visual fac this faculty that has been left free. You have not taken care of that. It is visualizing the entire world. So this mantra japa becomes mechanical. As the thought has two components, in japa, both the components has to be taken care of. So if I just meditate on a particular form and go on repeating the name, the chance of mind getting distracted is nullified, is reduced. The mind that the rupa, the visualization factor is also taken care of. Nama, the name factor is also taken care of. So this is the way. It will take me beyond this meditation in the form, will take me to the 
domain of formless, how it happens. In short, we will try to understand that how this Holy Mother used to say, Japat Siddhi, Japat Siddhi. In, in our scriptures, it is mentioned that we constantly go on jumping from practice to practice. So many practice, so many gods. Some mantra has been given us, given to us. We don't have faith in that. We go to some other uh, uh, gurus, have thousands of practice. We try to combine and make a hodgepodge of our spiritual journey. But this spiritual journey is actually as simple as that. Once you get the mantra from a particular guru, have faith. That's the practice you have to, uh, what you say, adopt in your life, forget everything else. There's a nishtha. It's not that the other practices are futile. They're all good. But I cannot simply just go on hopping from one practice to the other. I have to just simply dive deep in one practice. Otherwise, there cannot be any spiritual growth. If you don't have that faith, that basic faith, what's the basic thing? Let us try to understand that how it happens, what uh, that the spiritual growth happens. Whatever with the mantra, first I need that will. Many will be saying that, that, uh, that you say love God, love God. How can I love God? I don't feel the love. Love is something, something, not something that can be forced. If I don't have the feeling of love, how can I love God? So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, very interesting that one sentence will explain a lot of things. He used to say, that go on taking the name of the Lord, the bud of devotion, which is yet to bloom, that will bloom. The love which you are speaking of, that at the very beginning it's not there. It's just the mere will you have to use. With the willpower, I have to go on repeating the mantra, visualize as my guru has been has instructed. No result ensues. I did not jump to another practice. I go on with steadfastness, go on practicing it. Know it for certain. If we are having that faith, we are having that strong uh, willpower in a very short time. It depends on the intensity. The more intense is your practice, the more shorter is the time. A time will come, suddenly you will find that the will, this the, uh, what you say, the emotion is taking the place of your will. You have started developing a love for that name, for the visualization of the form. That love has, it develops through your will. How it happens. It is a very famous, it is a very specific human faculty that love something is, doesn't speak of our emotion. The real love is the emotion guided by your willpower. Otherwise, it's not love. It is just simply passion. If it's in, even if it's in the animals, in the name of love in the world, modern world, we are actually degrading ourselves to the level of the animal when we give free rein to our passions. It's not love. Real love is what even in the marriage, what is the real love? First comes the will, the vows. We give importance to them. And we try to guide our emotion with the vows. The more we can do that, the more our life is integrated. Otherwise, my life will be disintegrated. In the, in the modern world, you go for any movies. That's the thing they show. That, that is the way that we are bound to. That gets swayed away by our emotions and our life, all complications will come. That's how we are deluded by the social media. It's not the fact. 
the spiritual tradition speaks of that the will through which our emotions can be guided. How it can be guided? There's a science behind it. In the modern day, there's neuroplasticity speaks of that. When I do something repeatedly with my will again and again, in the mind, whatever you're doing again and again, it creates a path, it creates a groove. And once the groove is created, you develop a liking for it. You forget the necessity just to do it becomes your obsession. All our so-called obsessions have developed that way. The Sri Ramakrishna, the gospel again and again saying, Kamini, Kanchan, Maya. Why it is Maya? Because these both are the things, the lust and wealth. Both this thing is a necessity of life. Without will, you cannot sustain yourself. Without lust, there cannot be propagation of life. But why it's an obstacle? That necessity has got converted into obsession. From the microbe till the human being, those are all, there's the two things which is common. We need for that wealth for food. The microbe doesn't have wealth, but it needs food. The wealth speaks of food and procreation speaks of lust. From the microbe till the human being, it is there and it's a necessity. But what has happened? They're the strongest obsession. You just open the newspaper, open the TV channel and to hear the news, any crime at last you will find is because of any of these two, either lust or gold, nothing else. What has happened? Necessity has got converted into obsession. It has created such a deep groove in your mind by constant repetition. The same thing that we are using that is the same faculty of mind which has taken me spirally downwards. I'm using that same faculty to move spirally upwards. That's the science of spirituality. How they're doing it? The guru has told me that see, this is the divine personality. This is the life. And his name is the mantra for you. With that, when I'm constantly repeating, constantly repeating with that will, a love develops. Now, that because of the neuroplasticity, same neuroplasticity, that this love, the moment that love develops, then for the, for the first time, you will know what meditation is. As long as you have to use your will, you have to struggle, you have to fight. It's no meditation at all. It's the love which speaks of meditation. One whom you love without your effort, constantly you are bound to think of that person. In our life, we have seen that. You all have seen that. The mother's love for the child. You see that. What happens? The mother, whatever she may be doing, she cannot even for a moment forget the child. Constantly it's there in the background of the mind. That's the real meditation. Unless that evil love has developed, there cannot be any meditation. Even in Viveka Churamani, Shankaracharya is saying that unless the bhakti is developed, even when you are re repeating Aham Brahmasmi, for that, that love for repeating that should develop. Without that, you cannot think of spiritual evolution. So with that emotion, gradually it will take you to the flow. What happens? The mind becomes more intense in your meditation. All the so-called distraction falls off. Your mind is just in thinking that thought and visualizing the ishta which you have chosen, the chosen deity you have chosen. You're just thinking of that. Everything else falls off. As we have given so many times that example, when you enter the flow, even you forget if your body, why the part of the mind which is required to take care of a body, 
that when I am tired, there's a system, body alarm, which says that I am tired. I am hungry. The body says I am hungry. A part of your mind has to take care of all those activities, has to take care of all those alarms. The mind has become so concentrated that it falls off. You see in the life of all the divine personalities in the sadhana, that a stage comes when that they forget taking food, sleep, and we try to imitate them by forcefully stopping. Actually, we forget one thing. For them, it has fallen automatically. As Ramakrishna used to say, the scab on your wound should fall naturally. If you pull it out, it will the, 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 their wound will lacerate. It will never heal. We forget. We never try to, by imitating, we forget that actually it was not something by force. Their love for the practice was so intense, other things have fallen off. Just when a classical singer is singing, absorbed in his song throughout the night, he forgets sleep. A painter forgets sleep, forgets food. A scientist forgets sleep, forgets food. Because they're so intensely absorbed in that, the other things, the mind cannot process the other things. has fallen off. So here also the same thing happens. In the spiritual journey, your imagination becomes more and more vivid. But still it's imagination. You're ima imagining your Ishta, repeating the name, other things have fallen off, but still it's an imagination. Till a time comes when the ego falls off. That's the last bit of uh, what you say that last bit where the mind has to process. Whatever I may be doing, I never forget that I am, I am. A part of the mind is always engaged to keep my ego intact. When my concentration becomes extremely intense, that, that basic, that basal amount of the mind, which is required to keep my ego intact, that also is taken away by your object of meditation. And that's the time which speaks of Samadhi. What is Samadhi? In the Vedanta, they say Triputi Bheda, Dhyana Dhyata Dhyaya. There are these triads that I can never get rid of it. How intense may be my meditation. I have the sense that there is an object of meditation. I am meditating and the meditation is the process by which it is. I am connected with the object of meditation. These triads are there. A time comes this triad collapse. When that ego has been taken away, the sense of I has been taken away by our object of meditation. It has become so intense. The mind at the beginning has stopped getting distracted by the external world, then by the body itself. And at last, the last bit, the ego has been taken away. Now the form, which was just your imagination, though it was a vivid imagination, still it was an imagination. Now that form, the moment that triad breaks, you become one with the object of meditation. You forget that I am meditating on that object. You have become as if one with it. Then that wonder happens, that Ishta Deva the Samprayoga. Your ego, the moment fall off, falls off, that form becomes the framework through which you are peeping to the infinite, to the eternity, to that ultimate reality, the ego. Ego is the only barrier. It has fallen off with the help of this framework. That's why Ramakrishna again and again used to say very nicely that all these various divine forms are just a hole in your wall of ego through which you can peep into the eternity. 
Suppose there is a wall in front of you. You don't, don't know what is there behind it. So you start chiseling it off. Someone is chiseling it in the form of Krishna. Some is chiseling in the form of Christ. This process of chiseling is the imagination. is the visualization. It goes on till the ego falls off. That chiseling is complete. A hole has formed and a peep through it. But you see that what is on the other side of the world? Infinite expanse. Nothing is there to limit it. So this form becomes a framework through which you are peeping to the eternity. So now this samprayoga happens that you are realizing it's no more imagination. This framework has helped you to go to the realization. The imagine that when the moment the egos falls off, along with that, all your bias falls off. This today's imagination takes you to the ultimate realization. So that's the process of Swadhyaya. Just see, that's why we were saying that each and every practice is not sequential. They are all complementary. Each and every practice, if I get, if I am perfected in it, it is taking me to the realization. All other practice are spontaneously followed by it. So that's what has been spoken when they're speaking of Swadhyaya. So the two things happen that you, it's take, it is, it is, your imagination becomes the framework for that ultimate realization. And as all the bias falls off, even when you're imagining, it starts with what you say that type of prophecy. What restricts our vision is all our bias. In Vedanta, they speak of a story of a stump. The stump is there in the corner of a park. In the twilight hours, a child who is seeking its mother thinks it's to be its mother. The mother who is in search of the child thinks it's to be the child. A lover thinks it to be its beloved. The police thinks it's to be the thief. The thief thinks it's to be the police. As per the bias, the stump, a simple stump is visualized in so many ways. In spiritual life, the more we, through contemplation, we get rid of all other desires and distractions, the bias falls off. And then we can visualize the truth and it almost, we become like prophets who can see the future, who can see the past. Is a bias which obstructs us, which doesn't allow us to see the truth as it is. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, when two players are playing chess, the onlooker always says the correct move. He is not a very good player. Why he says the correct move? Because he is in no way bothered about winning or losing. There is no fear of winning or losing, not, no worry, no tension, no fear. He is just focusing on the game, on the board. Those two players, they have expectation. They have fear. I have to win. That's the expectation. The fear, I may lose. That is clouding their mind. They cannot concentrate on the game. Half, more than half of the mind is taken away by their worries and expectations. But the one who is the onlooker is just totally focused on the game. There are no biases, no worries, no tensions. And the truth reveals. He says the correct move. So that happens even in spiritual life. The more intense is your uh, this practice, the more vivid is your imagination. Even though it's imagination, at the beginning it starts with that. You will find that you see the things as it is. The biases starts falling off. Very easily you see that the world is just uh, what, uh, what you say, just a sham show. 
that people's whatever takes so seriously that all the seriousness falls off it's just a temporary uh, that is a, a game is going on first that vision comes you develop the detachment and this detachment again is not something which you have to force it comes spontaneously because you see just the way uh, swamiji realized that it's a mirage the second day it cannot uh, pull him anymore that it falls off automatically and at last it takes you to that realization where the ego totally falls off shatters all the modules falls off taking you directly to the realization what you are the mind is like the prism the when the moment the prism falls off the phenomenon the so called the spectrum falls off and you merge with the white light with the conscious principle itself so here also the same thing happens the moment the ego falls off the mind which is constitutes of various mental modules they are like the spikes fixed to that hub they all fall off taking you to the ultimate realization and that's how swadhyaya leads to ishta devata samprayoga so each of these sutras that's why it's very interesting so small there's three words it speaks a lot that's why it needs so much of discussion explanation contemplation the more we do that each sutra itself becomes like a mantra the word mantra means mananath trayate iti mantra it's small but go on cogitating upon it that is mananath and that will release you that will liberate you trayate mananath trayate that is mantra so each of the sutras are mantras just if you try to cogitate upon it it will take you to the ultimate realization you will find that it actually liberates it has so much of potency in it so that's how these all these sutras are so powerful so the last observance the ishwar pranidhana that we will take up again in the next class the next class will start as i have already uh, announced before the start class started the next class will start immediately after the aarti uh, at 7:30 we won't have the guided meditation on thursdays those who want to attend guided meditation they can join uh, the guided meditation session on saturdays after the evening aarti so thank you all with this we stop for discussion today om shanti shanti shanti